we have to be a person who attracts, whose way of living freedom calls to the other person who says, oh my gosh, I wish I could be like that. We are women encouraging and equipping women to universally and uniquely serve Christ in their feminine vocation. By embracing joy, laughter, freedom, and friendship, we are seeking to thrive in the trenches of our domestic churches. Welcome to Thriving in the Trenches podcast. This is Becky Carter. And this is Megan Schreiber, and you are listening to episode number nine. Our topic today is freedom. We're going to look at what freedom means in the lives of women authentically living out their feminine role as God designed. Today, we are very humbled to have a most dynamic guest joining us. Helen Alvare probably almost needs no introduction, but for those who may not be familiar with her and her work, Helen is a professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason. She's been a leader in the pro-life movement, an advocate for religious freedom, and Helen is a prolific scholarly writer on married women, married life, non-married households, with a particular focus on the poor and poor working women. She is also the founder of Women Speak for Themselves. Helen, welcome. Thank you for having me. What a blessing to have you with us. I'm hoping that we can jump right in and really just talk about that word freedom. That is one of our pillars for the podcast. And I thought of you instantly for the reason that when I look at our culture, I look at the media, women seem to be really promoting this idea of, you know, freedom for women. And yet, in so many ways, I, I see how women are really getting the short end of the stick. And I think their mission is right. They're looking for, for women to be uplifted and dignified. And yet there's a lot of lies around what that freedom looks like. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we can kind of just dive right into defining <laughs> that. <laughs> it's a big right. one. So, so many thoughts, as you can imagine. So here's a couple of, you know, I'll say tools or ideas we can play with. One is that we certainly are living, and this is no news to anybody, in a cultural situation where freedom is thought of uh, at the individual level. It's thought of as freedom from, not freedom for. And women are, if you will, the symbol of freedom for and freedom with. So we know from life's experience, you don't even have to consult the data, although the data supports this enormously, that people are actually more free to be anything they want to be if they are in relationship. You you take care of your children, you provide them that firm trampoline surface to jump from. You, um, you have a good marriage, you have a good friendship, the other person is more free to go out into the world to be happy, to perform, to do whatever it is God calls them to do or they need to do for their work. So, the, it's, it's interesting because in the feminist literature, there's a recognition of this, but at the same time, they want to pair it with the right to abortion or, you know, freedom to have a child without a man involved. Uh, Martha Feynman, the very famous and probably leading feminist family law scholar, says that, you know, freedom in the family context is the woman is in charge of the child and the man may or may not be permitted to contract in. So... <laughs> 
the they want to recognize in some sense that it's just practically speaking no one is free without love and support and people who teach them and enable them but then at some point they go completely crazy and inconsistent and argue that we need to be able to cut off relations when they are burdensome or when we don't feel like it not realizing that freedom and commitment go hand in hand so i think that's one thing that we know experientially that it is freedom for the other freedom in community mutual interdependence but we have this false notion that it does not require work or even commitment through the tough times or commitment when somebody is misbehaving or um or doing something we don't like and then the second and then i promise i'll stop going on but the second mm-hmm. point is and i learned this so brilliantly from the italian founder of a movement called communion and liberation luigi gisani and he was um a great great friend and spiritual mentor to pope benedict xvi who i believe when he was cardinal ratzinger insisted on personally celebrating his funeral gisani says people's idea of freedom is too tiny is too impoverished that we think we know what we want freedom for that what we want to do with it but in fact what we really want is absolutely infinite and so you can even communicate this to a 14 year old girl or boy you can say you know what is it that you that your desires are for so deeply and they can talk about the friend who will never abandon them and the uh, uh, beauty or realizing their talent or feeling like they can be whatever they want to be and but but it turns out that in an imperfect world people will disappoint you at some point um you will struggle on the path to your career your vocation your your educational degree that these are fine but that the ultimate freedom what you really want ends up looking a lot like jesus <laughs> that what you really want is the friend who will suffer unbearable and unfair suffering for you what you really want is beauty that never dies what you really want what would really be freeing to you is a commitment that could not end that is promise not to end so it turns out the freedom that we think we want as women a particular job um um you know not so much um to do kids house job a um, hundred details that we think this is what that if we could just have this other thing this other thing this other thing five more minutes a, a more helpful child but it turns out our idea of freedom is hopelessly impoverished and if we realize that and actually become uh, lovers of true freedom and then we not only seek it infinitely in god but we try and actually model it for other people and encourage those we love to model it so those are two of my sort of most current iterations or ideas about freedom that i'm trying to develop in the context of the lives of women the lives of families in particular 
You know, Helen, as you spoke about two points, the second being that about the true freedom in, in Jesus. That's almost the, the starting point in some ways, because a lot of my life journey was spent in the first category of, of what you were speaking about, of almost believing that that freedom is thought of freedom from, not mm-hmm. that that privilege of freedom of or for. Right. Okay? But I didn't have clarity of that really until I got to the second piece of your freedom, which is understanding the freedom in Jesus, right? So then yeah. from from there, it's, it's almost like a, a platform. From there, then the revelation of authentic freedom in your first point was so visible to me. That's so fascinating. I I do, um, if you, you, want, you can call it homeschooling, I never believe, even a good Catholic school, except if you get lucky from time to time, you don't have as brilliant a, a, a theology teacher as you need for your particular child. So I, I, I have two or three conversations a week with my youngest child in uh, about theology. And one of the things I like to do, and again, I've taken this very much from, from Jasani, is start with where he is and to realize his desires, which are given to him by God as part of his freedom and free will. And I start there and get to God. I talk about things that he wants, but then, but that are then ultimately disappointing. I talk about, <clears throat> I, 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 it can be as simple as we take the dog for a walk and we see the most spectacular tulips on the corner. And I look at them and I say to him, isn't that beautiful? But it's tinged with a tiny bit of sadness because they will be wilting in 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 a week. And bummer because they're so incredible. They are practically, mm-hmm. they are, you know, like St. Thomas and St. Anselm said, they reveal the face of God. But then I say to them, I say to my son, but if they what if they were forever? What if there was forever. And like Jesus's conversation with the woman at the well, I can give you living water. You'll never have to go again. And so I take my desires as a woman as for love, for for companionship, for emotional understanding, for um, trying to do justice at home and do justice at work and so forth. And I, I remember that God gave me these desires, which are which are completely, I'm always falling short. Nothing is ever satisfying him. And then I say, ah, that's where my eyes go to Jesus. And then I can look at what he says and what he does in the New Testament. And for me, especially what St. Paul says, because I adore St. Paul. He's a wild man. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I can say, oh, my gosh. I start with my desires he gave me, and I see how he is the answer to them. And women can do this, whether it is with the, the fact that multitasking is both our gift and our cross, the fact that we want love so much, and we want interdependence, and we want emotional satisfaction, and we want we want our children to be free, and we want them never to leave. <laughs> and all of these mm-hmm. things, well, this is not wrong. In fact, Jasani has a statement that sadness and, and despair are, are opposites. Sadness is a recognition of the gap between the desires God gave us and the fact that the world cannot satisfy them, but God can. Despair is not understanding that God can. So all these things that women today, the Women's March, uh, oh, you know, I just name any starlet who's who's having stupid um, conversation publicly about what women want. Let's try Lena Dunham, for example. The desire for freedom... We can begin a conversation with women even there by saying we understand 
how basic this is and how correct this is and that these desires were given to you as a human being and specifically in a feminine form. But you're trying to satisfy them in ways that never can, never will. You're, you're killing abortion or cutting off men, other people on the path to achieving it. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, you know, we're, we are radically equal. We're together in this, but you're not going to get there with your version of it. Right. So many things I'm thinking about when, (laughs) gosh, when you, you know, you mentioned the women's march, the thing that struck me in kind of viewing that was so many of these women were outraged by our current president and his disgusting comments about women's body parts, right? right? And yet they knit hats and marched in solidarity for women's body parts. Like, Mm -hmm. could they not see the, the, what they were precisely, rightly angry over, they went and delivered to him on a platter. Like, where is that disconnect? Like, how does that become freedom? That is such a hard but such a great question. Um, here's my thought about it, and it's a very basic one. It doesn't answer all the little details, but I do think women's interrelationship with the baby, her unique first connection. The fact that, you know, women generally desire children more than men, especially at some ages. The fact that given choices, women spend more time with children. This is part of our constitution. This is not socially constructed. I'll give you a figure. Worldwide, over 90% of single parent households are female. That is not culture that is nature, okay? Um, so on the one hand, women are, and, and, and John Paul II's Molieris Dignitatum says this, women are not only created as a sign of, but function as a sign of um, relationship as primary. You know, uh, finding oneself, you have to lose yourself. Um, uh, we are built for community, etc. Women are the primary um, sign of this. The, the, the women's march, the, the hats, the, um, the sort of, they say they're appropriating the sign of our fertility, our, you know, our genital body parts, rightly uh, opposing now President Trump's disgusting statements about taking advantage of women. But what they fail to see is that the answer is not... Um, Beating the, the the life out of men and sending them off. It is not rejecting babies. It actually ends up embracing the sacrificial, interdependent, you know, mutuality, um, all these aspects of the human person. I think the disconnect, in other words, Megan, is they are right to be opposed to the wrongs of others. They are wrong that the answer is exclusion, killing, disconnection, uh, hyper-individualism. So I'm not going to get into Trump politics as something all on its own. Um, You could have a room full of the 10 smartest people in the world, and uh, and they wouldn't be able to sort it out. (laughs) But... um, but they, I think the disconnect is, in the end, the refusal to acknowledge that we are constituted as relational and that women, in some sense, have a primary sign value on this. This doesn't mean, I'm not saying every woman has to be a mother. I'm not saying every woman needs to be home full-time with her children and not work outside the home. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying that 
women, especially by making abortion, as, as the, the, some feminists have done, the leading edge of women's freedom, have made rejection of interdependence, the sine qua non of mm-hmm. uh, freedom. And I'm saying they're right in their desire for freedom. They're wrong in cutting off or harming other people to so-called get it. Absolutely. And that, that harkens back to your, your opening line of that understand or that thought behind the confusion of freedom from versus freedom of, right? Yes. That's a yes. key point we need to keep at the forefront of everything. For instance, you know, contraception, and we'll be talking about that in a whole other podcast because, yes. you know, it requires that. Uh, people, my listeners now know that at some point in my life, in my married life, we abandoned church teaching um, and contraception in our marriage. We've paid the price for that. Ultimately, we came to see the truth. But what, what the interesting thing that transpired, and you know, I don't have empirical data on this, but I have living data on it. And right. that was that contraception no means brought freedom to me. It, in fact, enslaved me it enslaved me to a lot of things and it destroyed the relationship between my husband and I. So how do we start to change the narrative on things where, <laughs> hmm, can we? I love your questions. They're all like, just decipher the universe. You right. have five minutes, right? <laughs> Let's see, how do we save the world, Helen? Like, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. That's, that's it. We know we need to change the narrative. At the heart of a lot of this are women who are misunderstanding what freedom is. Yeah. That's the basis of it. The the there's this there's so many aspects of contraception and I when I was a young theology student um, in graduate theology um, really thought the church was dead wrong on this and um, and I too grew um, to accept the teaching but did not uh, initially and. What I have come to understand, and because I didn't understand it first, and because I was so strong in that belief, I hope that it gave me some insight. And I never judge or condemn a woman who who comes up in this culture, and even in a church, which is not, um, the Catholic Church is not brilliant in its um, discussion of this by no means at all. Um, and so I totally understand the woman who says, listen, Look at the Planned Parenthood line on this. I'm fertile for, you know, whatever, 30 years, um, and I probably want to have a couple of children. What the heck am I supposed to do? This is ridiculous. I'm going to have, you know, uh, a marital life for decades, and you're telling me that somehow I'm going to have two or three children, but I'm never going to use contraception. This is ridiculous. It is one of it's no wonder it's the hardest thing. It's the thing that's sent people away from the church in some cases, and it's something that most Catholics don't accept. So here's what I've come to understand, I think. And and for anyone who wanted to read about this more, I think some of the best descriptions of it are in John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility. But I also think, and people will be surprised, there's two philosophers of the 20th century, neither of whom are writing from a Catholic perspective who, actually there's a third guy too, a social commentator, who if you really wanted to understand this at the cultural, philosophical, sociological level, but it's readable, you would read Anthony Giddens, maybe the greatest sociologist of the 20th century, not Catholic, I think he was head of sociology at Cambridge, um, his book called The Transformation of Intimacy. You would read Zygmunt Bauman, a European philosopher, in his book Liquid Love, 
or Liquid Modernity, two different books. Or you would read, I think a guy, he might have been a communist or a socialist in the 20s. He became a conservative later. A guy named Walter Lippmann in his book, um, uh, Introduction to Morals, a preface to morals in the 1920s. All of them said, and and this predated um, and then postdated Humanae Vitae, the Catholic Church's encyclical on contraception. They said, listen, once you take children out of sex, and you and, and again, John Paul II says it as well, both both practically and theologically in Love and Responsibility. Once you take the idea that sex is the place where two become one, not only in in the joining of bodies, but in the production, uh, the reproduction of another person. Once you take away the idea that love is fruitful, that love goes out, then you have you have yanked. The, the core, the weight out of sex. I am not saying every act of sex has to be with the baby in mind. I am not saying that <clears throat> sex is not also about intimacy and and couple relationship. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm asking people to hold two things in their mind at the same time. It joins the couple, but it does so more effectively when it is not a closed circuit. Because when it is a closed circuit, sex has moral hazards because of its association and, and reality of pleasure because of its intenseness, its, its, its exposure of one person to the other. The moral hazards of reducing it to some intense emotional ecstatic moment that lasts X number of minutes or to just something that gets communicates between the couples and never goes out and is never tied, as Bauman says, to concepts like kin, future, commitment, love, but is really about the act and what is communicated just at that moment. It cannot help but harm. It cannot help but to turn into what um, Giddens then calls plastic sexuality or what he calls, the, we'll misconstrue these words, the pure relationship, meaning it's nothing but a relationship between two people. Uh, um, uh, Walter Lippmann makes the statement, he says, when you remove sex from the fact that it builds family, life, culture, unity in the very person of the child, he said, the house, domestic life becomes something sort of sterile and separate, and it is not about what you are building together. Sex becomes more than it can bear. It, you, you're putting all of this intensity, this relationship with the other person has to be uh, just uh, crowned by this moment of unity. No, it is a physical act that also has its feet on the ground and that produces a new physical person. He, Lipman says married life becomes, you know, um, you're supposed to have this ecstasy that no man-woman relationship can bear. It will fall if it's held to that standard. And domestic life and child rearing and working together in the kitchen becomes sterile and, and nothing when it's dissociated from this other union that you have. The Catholic Church's teaching on this has been proved out by the fact that sex has become all about technique. It's become about porn. It's become about that, that moment of individually received pleasure or the other person's getting it, but that it never builds, that it never looks to the future, that it is never about this whole life we're building together and love that goes out, it has to fall. It cannot bear that. It must be both heavenly and on earth. It must be about the couple and about what they build. It must be about now and about the future. Contraception is the tool that split off children from sex, it thereby split off 
family, love, future, commitment from sex, and thereby split sex from marriage and children from marriage. It's, it's, it's an amazing fact what contraception did. It was a little bomb that exploded the beautiful natural unity of sex and life together as a family. I actually try to make a stab at explaining this in chapter four of my book that's coming out this fall called um, Putting Children's Interests First in American Family Law with Power Comes Responsibility. And it's coming out from Cambridge University this fall. And chapter four attempts to do what I just said to you um, and the introductory chapter because you can see how hard a time I have saying it briefly. And the book (laughs) tries. The book tries to be synthetic and brief. But I have a lot of reading to do. (laughs) I know. I'm like writing things down here. I'm like, I'm getting on Amazon. I have um, a point that I would like to uh, make. And that is, Helen, I was falling away from the church for uh, 17 years and living in a very evangelical um, Christianity and had been challenged on the issue of contraception almost from the beginning of our marriage, which is is odd, living in, in the Protestant paradigm. You don't hear that very much, but it was quite a journey. I'm t- and I'm not exaggerating when I say we prayed for probably 15 years, wow. sought wisdom, begging the Lord, what is the truth? Can we contracept? Do we have the freedom to contracept? You know, there's there's no there's no rule out there. There's no authority that has taken the Bible, which was our sole rule of faith. No one's taken that and given me a solid answer. We were begging. I was begging for an answer. Mm-hmm. I wanted what the Catholic Church had, and that was a solid answer. But I'd never been taught the why. Mm-hmm. behind their teaching. It just felt like a rule. And so we all want to just reject rules without reason. But I cannot tell you the amount of healing that was that the Lord gave us when we were finally taught the why behind Catholic teaching. And I screamed for so many years about the objectification of the woman especially in Christian marriage, where they take the scripture where your body's not your own, it is your spouse's and vice versa. And so, it's like it took our voice, it took away our our dignity as a woman, and you have just boiled us down to this object of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And and appearance. <laughs> Don't forget, yeah. you got to look good, too. Yes, oh, the, oh uh, yes. Put on my lipstick before my husband the, gets home. Right. <laughs> the, um, the, what people don't realize, there's this ton of law and economic literature, or you may call it sociology and economic literature, that shows that when you took the weight out of sex, you, and turned it into this other thing, the incentives to um, have sex without marriage went way, way up. The the best article on this ever was actually written by our current Fed chairwoman, believe it or not, um, 
um, Janet Yellen and her, her Nobel Prize winning economist husband, George Akerloft, in the 1996, I think it's the Journal of Quarterly Economics, you can get it online, <clears throat> and it is an analysis of out-of-wedlock childbearing, and it shows that everyone thought that with contraception, out-of-wedlock childbearing and abortion would go down, but instead both of them went dramatically up. In fact, non-marital childbearing has gone up by 800% among the very population that the federal government has fed billions and billions and billions of dollars of free birth control. Why? Because it reduces sex to something very small. It means that people are willing to take a risk because they think it's insured. So there's a phenomenon called risk compensation where people will do more of something if they think it's insured again. So when there were, you know, seatbelt laws, you had more people dying of speeding. Um, or a or funnier example, not funny, but, but sort of, is you have parachutes and more people dump dying out of planes because they think that the risk is insured. Well, it turns out when you have contraception, more people think the risk is insured and more people jump into the pool of non-marital sex. So you have several things happening. You have all kinds of poor women who really don't have an incentive to delay childbearing. So you may have more contraception, but now sex is cheap and they're going to more likely have the baby. You have other women who use it, but of course, um, contraception fails between 9 and 30% a year on average, just method failure. And then add to that use failure, people using it incorrectly. Then you have people who have uh, people in the relationship who say, I don't want to use contraception. I don't think you trust me. Um, so don't use contraception. Then you have all kinds of people um, who um, jump into this pool and therefore you have more non-marital sex more non-marital pregnancies, and then more abortions, all because contraception jumped in and, and exploded the connections between sex, marriage, and children. And there's no freedom in that. No, there hasn't been. I mean, um, the interesting study by um, some economists, they used to be at University of Pennsylvania, I think they're elsewhere now, Stevenson and Wolfers, who showed that women are less happy now than they were 40 years ago, and less happy than men for the first measured time. And they don't, they, they express disbelief, how can this be? Um, because women have what they want. They have the ability not to have children. They have the ability to have sex on men's terms, that is sex but no baby. They have the ability to do the jobs they want, the education they want, etc. Um, and in fact, though, they're not as happy. And it's probably because relationships and certainty um, have declined. And along with it, of course, the economic situation of women has declined. Well, and even if you take that down to a natural place and how we're created, how God created us as women, is we are, these, these women are going after what they're not created for, and they will never be satisfied by that. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so part of it is intrinsic. If you live for yourself, if you live about with, with the idea of sex as not part of a long-term commitment, um, you can look at all the, the hookup books on this. You know what I mean, all these books that right. study hookup culture on college campus. And there's there's about 12 of them, and I forced myself to read all of them while I was writing my own book. 
And there's this interesting narrative where the, they start by saying, look at all this freedom that women have. And they get women are saying, you know, I love dressing up as a prostitute and going to, to fat parties. It's really freeing that I can do that. And then very shortly after, you get the, I'm really depressed. I'm not happy. I feel like I'm being asked to have pornographic sex. I feel like I don't have a relationship. I don't feel it's fair that I had sex with him, but he won't text me. Um, now, on the one hand, this is not as widespread as a lot of people think. It, it's still, I don't know, 15, 20% maybe of a college population. Um, that's still way too many. But, but on the other hand, this narrative of freedom out of the mouths of these young women themselves is, is undone. And, but the problem is, it is really the third rail for us to say anything negative about casual sex. It, it is like, I, I, I have a quote in my book from this woman who says that basically anybody who criticizes contraception is like a crazy patriarchal evil mongrel. I mean, <laughs> how did you do this? So I usually try, and this goes, you know, to the concept of both tone and trying to reach the other side. I say, I understand that you think this is crazy, but, but hear me out. Look at look at the marketplace for sex and marriage in a world where sex is casual and contraception is the norm. And I just want you to see that it is not good. Oh, there's another offer that really people should read. She is an Israeli sociologist named Ava Ilush, I-L-L-O-U-Z. She has a book called Love Hurts. And she has this quote at the end where she says, you know, how come all the people that are so willing to criticize unbridled free market capitalism, and that would include our popes and, and a lot of people we know, are not willing to criticize an unbridled free market sexual marketplace, yeah. which she says gives women the illusion of freedom and has really ended up with them dominated in new and worse ways. Right. And this woman is a feminist. I make no mistake about it. Wow. Right. And that that's just amazing, too, because I think that there's the freedom and the slavery, right? They're just, yes. they're going hand in hand, and yet women and young women on college campuses, too, are truly living in slavery, but they're being told it's freedom. Right. And, and exactly. they've, they've, they believe it. They believe words, but the depression, the quality of life, all of those things are speaking against it because it's going completely against who they were created to be. Now, yes. that to me becomes true feminism. Like, I'll have my daughter say, Mom, do you consider yourself a, a, a feminist? You know, it's like a loaded question. I was like, Yes, it is. I, a, I love being a female, I love everything about my femininity, love it. And I will promote that. Nowhere in there do I want to be a man. Nowhere right. in there do I want to be a slave to anything. So uh, maybe I am, right? I think that definition has been distorted a bit over the years, too. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. The, there's, there's still, and I understand that it's a matter of prudential judgment whether you want to call yourself a feminist. So I understand it will, it, it can be a conversation stopper, say so you can get no further with some people. But I've always considered myself an, a feminist in this sense, in, in the bumper sticker sense. You know, feminism is the radical notion that women are, are equal human beings, period. It, it's a very Catholic sense. So I could call myself a Catholic feminist, but I think I could call myself just a plain old feminist under that definition. I'm in that same camp. Well, I want to shift if we can. So we've talked about the idea of 
what freedom means, what freedom should mean. And right. the big takeaway that I'm hoping all of our listeners can can gather from this is, is, again, your introductory statement of the thought that it is not freedom from, but freedom of or for. One thing that occurs to me right away is to remember that even as we are trying to evolve <clears throat> as good people religiously, that the people around us don't sort of always understand where we're coming from. So sometimes we have to explain what it is that we're trying to do, who it is that we're trying to be uh, when we are seeking to convert or move our the person we're talking to, our spouse, our children in particular. Um, and we need to, I actually, before I have a very serious conversation with my husband or one of my kids, this won't surprise you, but I actually, I do an outline. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And I say, I have very little time here, especially with like a teenage boy, to make an impression. So I actually do an outline of how I'm going to approach it. It, it occupies the entire hour and a half round trip in my car, um, you know, when I drop him off in the morning and when I pick him up in the afternoon, if I'm going to have a conversation that day. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, um, you know, I, I, the good news is that I think a lot of people want what, what we want, what Christ wants. They actually want the, the freedom of the children of God. They, they are excited when they meet people who are really living that freedom and who are not afraid of, of the world, but are, are, are not, they're not afraid to be free. They're not afraid of their own freedom. They're not afraid of other people's freedom. They, so one of the, the sort of context for a conversation, in addition to being prepared and explaining where you come from, is that you say to them, I understand, you know, that you're a person of free will. You happen to be a person that I love, you know, more than anyone in the world. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm so desirous that I share with you what I think is, is, is holding us back or causing us to fight or causing a problem. Um, I know that I can't necessarily change you. That's your free will. But let me explain to you why I think we would be so much happier if we went in this new direction, why I think it's the right thing. So, you know, just, and the other thing is to attract by, uh, there's, there's a word that Jasani uses, you know, to, to, to convince by attraction or by what he calls correspondence. That is, uh, and, and this goes along with the famous phrase that some of you may know from the Catholic author Flannery O'Connor, first sweep around your own door. Right. <laughs> and, she also says, I prefer that my Catholicism is yeast in the bread, not raisins in the cake. We have to be a person who attracts, whose way of living freedom calls to the other person who says, oh my gosh, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could speak out for what I believe in in such a kind manner. I wish I could put my money where my mouth is when it comes to not being a materialist or helping a pregnant woman in need or um, always taking the high road with my children, even when they totally inspire me to take the low road because of something they said to me. So all of these, I realize, are bigger contextual points before we get around to the question of the courage <clears throat> to try and have a marriage that does not involve contraception, that involves, and, and um, 
it was a conversation that my husband and I had that, like the great theologian on this, Janet Smith predicted, it leads to a conversation about everything. The couple ends up, when they talk about this, talking about everything about sex, everything about their family life, everything about uh, their kids, their future, their their economics, their jobs, because it opens up the question of your life together. It's magic as a conversation. So recognizing that, you know, all of these points to repeat them, that you have to tell them where you're coming from, that you have to understand that they're afraid and where they're coming from, that you want to attract by being attractive and by having a way of living your freedom and allowing other person to have theirs, which corresponds to their deepest desires, which they do have. And that's the good news. Then you have this very specific conversation about contraception and the role it's playing in closing the couple off to not just life in the form of, of, of children, but, but life in the form of what is our project together forever. I highly recommend all of our listeners to, to visit our show notes, all of the recommendations that Helen's mentioned throughout this. And more importantly, Helen has a phenomenal organization called Women Speak for Themselves. I cannot say enough about that. There's tremendous resources. It's a community. This is wonderful. And what, what, what is also expanding is there to, into local gatherings. So I encourage people to visit the site. And if you're feeling isolated and alone, but you're identifying with a lot of these issues, tap into that resource. It's an amazing community. So Helen, I'm looking forward to your book coming out in October. And hopefully, maybe after we've read that book, we can bring you back on the podcast. That would be terrific. I know I'll be talking nonstop about that book for some time. And and I thank you for promoting womenspeakforthemselves.com. I mean, you will get intelligent, footnoted, accurate information with which you can have a conversation, whether in the media, you know, in a letter to the editor, with your kids, at your school, but you will have a tone and substance that will help see you through. Great. Helen, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, both of you. Thank you, Helen. Okay, Becky. So, um, how how how's your head doing? I feel like I'm <laughs> I'm piecing <laughs> together all of my intellectual thoughts after listening to Helen. I mean, there's there's so much more I could talk about, and so many questions I wanted to ask her. Mm-hmm, I know. Well, I definitely have a lot of notes and a lot of questions on my own, and I gotta ask. You two were talking a lot about freedom from versus freedom for. Yeah, I am hoping that you will just help break some of that down with a concrete example that shows the contrast of this freedom for versus the freedom for that you guys have been talking about so much on this during that interview. Oh, sure, sure. Like the freedom from versus the freedom to or freedom for. Okay. Correct. Right. So, so the the way in which I look at that and, and interpret that is, so freedom from has an implication that we're breaking out of something. We're, we're not being bound by restriction or rules or boundaries or guidelines. Okay. Okay. And then freedom to or freedom for something is now a willing ability to move towards a beneficial goal. 
So, okay. so here, here let, let, to give an example, like I just kind of gave you more verbiage, so I don't know how, how much that helped, but it did. It helped a little, but yeah. Okay. So, so GK Chesterton at, at one point, um, kind of wrote about this idea of this village on a cliff. I mean, cliff all around, like every side was this massive drop. Okay. And this village had walls up and inside the village was, you know, happy living and lives going on. And most of the people didn't realize what was beyond the precipice of the walls. Um, and you know, there's this idea of this desire to not have walls, you know, why should they be, um, confined to something and why should they be restricted? So this uprising and this movement ensues, they take down the walls and, you know, let's open up to the vast expanse that lay beyond our walls. And so the walls come down and everyone is aware of and can see the demise that will befall them by coming close to that edge. So instead of freedom, now these these villagers and these children are paralyzed in fear, right? They're sitting. There's no more ball playing. They're sitting because, you know, what, what they thought was holding them back was ultimately protecting them. So don't know if that vision helps, but, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we are kind of sold this, like, break free from your fertility, it's holding you back from success or it's holding you back from fill in the blank, right? What, whatever it is. And that notion of freedom from is that let's break out of this. Let's take down the boundaries. Let's take down the guidelines. When the reality is, is that much of what is out there isn't necessarily rules that restrict us, but guidelines to protect us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely, and I'm sure in GK Chester, now that you say it, I do remember that vaguely, but I would imagine that he's probably likening the walls protecting from falling over the cliff to be the church and the church's ability to see our feminine genius and know our feminine genius. They're protecting our dignity, they're protecting our femininity, they're protecting our gifts. Our, you cannot bear children unless you're a woman. How powerful is it to produce life? Like, um, yeah, sure. I, I mean, that is, it's not our only purpose, but we are the only ones who can put forth that purpose. We are the only ones who can do that. Mm-hmm. And now we can't do it alone, so please don't swing my comment the other way. But um, it's it's the church is protecting who we are, right? And th- this that's why that freedom to right to make decisions about whether it, the topic is childbearing or the topic is. Um, something else that relates to our fertility, right? But this can go beyond that. It's it's as if this um, this notion of freedom. So we we could take this and extrapolate it between uh, you know a husband and wife in a marriage, right? Someone could say, well, freedom in my marriage means that I can have multiple partners. 
freedom and right. There's there's Mm -hmm. this, I'm breaking out of something or do I have the freedom to love and honor this person that I have committed myself to? So it's like that willing ability Mm -hmm. to versus I'm breaking out of something, right? And like anything, Mm -hmm. parameters, guidelines, guardrails, you know, are there to protect, to guide. And and this this is like a crazy example because it has nothing to do with women. It has nothing to do with faith. But I think about like the real estate market, right? What happened from a financial perspective, right? All of a sudden, guidelines were left by the wayside. People could borrow colossal amounts of money without having restrictions, without having boundaries, without having guidelines. And it seemed really, really great. You know, people Mm -hmm. could get a house for zero down and whatever their payments were. And look what happened. It wasn't just that, you know, Bill and Sue Smith, who were able to get that house, all of a sudden had to liquidate and were, you know, they were in their own personal financial crisis. This lack of uh, vision and guidelines affected an entire industry, that it affected an entire banking community that ultimately got to the government, right? So it's so, I know it sounds like a crazy example, but it's this notion that to, to live in society, contribute to society, you know, be an upstanding citizen requires some sort of boundaries and guidelines. And aren't Mm -hmm. we blessed that mother church offers loving guidelines for us as her children. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Marie and I have had conversations before. This was really early on when uh, our friendship started taking off in a more spiritual way. We were talking about the culture, and Marie will be the first to tell you that she loves all things (laughs) fancy, makeup, looking beautiful. And she is beautiful. And she loves all that. But I'll I'll tell a story on her. And <laughs> um, she wanted this purse. And all she could think about was this purse. And if she could only get that purse, then she would be complete in that moment, right? She ended up getting the purse and felt great about herself. And this is her revelation. This is her sharing this revelation with me. And once she realized that that purse was not filling the hole that she had, she started, her eyes started to be open to what the culture is putting on us as women and their expectations on us are even just as human. We have to be skinny. We have to be beautiful. Our teeth have to be white and perfect. Our eyebrows have to be perfectly manicured. We need to carry this purse. We need to wear this pair of jeans. We need to drive this type of car and live in this type of house. Our husband needs to look like this, and we need to have this many children, and they need to all be perfectly in a row right? These are expectations that the culture are putting on us that we'll never, ever, ever be able to fulfill, which is for me. So, I'm going to take the freedom from and the freedom to. So, I I rejected that cultural expectation years ago. I still get pulled in by certain things. I'm not perfect, 
but I have been able to let go a lot of that expectation. And boy, Heidi, the freedom from it. I feel so free to just be me. I, I'm i not uber skinny. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not all these things, but I am free to be Becky, mm-hmm. a homeschooling mom of five, married to my tall, handsome man with my five imperfect yet beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. And I'm free to live who I am, who God has called me to be. Am I doing it perfectly? By golly, no. But I am persevering in who He has called me to be. And uh, being free from the culture and being who God called me to be, I'm not going to lie, it's a lot easier. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And I have to say, if, if Marie learned solely by, you know, the purse incident, she, she can count herself as really blessed, right? Some people, A, may not, not ever arrive to that point. Others might, B, arrive to that point after a great deal of pain. And this is why we felt called to do the podcast, right? We wanted to get to that place where we could ask women to really understand what the church says, not just what, but why, why. And if there is any teaching within the church that you question yourself on, that you say, I'm not sure about that. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Here, here's where it becomes a bad thing. When we don't take the time to go deeper and understand why the church is saying what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Helen chatted about that a little bit, right? In the beginning of her journey, she did not understand church teaching. Um, and going deeper and understanding what the church says, why they say, and how we are to minister to one another in that. Mm-hmm. I, I just hope all women can can move to that. Because otherwise, otherwise we, do, we do learn by pain, a, th- a deep threshold of pain. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. And um, I I appreciate that you acknowledge that a lot of women have had to learn some of these lessons in very painful ways. And please know um, if any of our listeners are carrying a burden that we will be praying for you and with you. And we want nothing else but to have uh, freedom and healing from those painful events for for everyone. Mm-hmm. So thank you for bringing that up. Yep. Well, well, let's talk about our Bible verse. Are you ready to move on to Bible verse? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So Paul is talking to the Romans, and this is in chapter 12. And we are talking about our new life in Christ. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, what we're talking about being free is we have to put on God's will. We have to renew our mind 
meditate on Him, know Him, live in the grace. Because He goes on to say, for by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So we've got to walk in humility. We've got to walk in love. Let love be genuine, He says. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. We've got to put on love and reject what is evil. Amen. Do you want to move on to our call to action? Sure. This will be a little bit of a challenge, but what would be great is if we could focus this week on those areas that we might be struggling in that concept of freedom from versus freedom for or freedom to. Is there an area that we are looking at freedom as breaking out of rules or boundaries or guidelines as opposed to the willing ability to move towards a beneficial end. Every time you say that now, I'm really, I, I get pulled back to John Paul II's quote on, we are free to do what we ought. Let's move on to this week, Saint Quote. And if you don't know anything about St. Paquita, well, by golly, you need to, because she is amazing. And if there is uh, someone who has given up their whole selves to worship the Lord and to be His child, Paquita is an amazing witness of sacrificing her whole self just to be with the Lord. Her quote, she says, I have given everything to my master. He will take care of me. The best thing for us is not what we consider best, but what the Lord wants of us. Wow, that's a great quote. I love these brilliant women. And, you know, a lot of people will say that Catholics will check their brain at the door and they just submit to the church. Well, if you've listened to this episode with uh, Professor Alvare, I think that you are going to have to disagree with that statement. Well, guys, thank you for joining us this week. We're so grateful for all of you with us in the trenches. You can find all these show notes and boy, Heidi, there are a lot of them on our website at thrivinginthetrenches.com. Please subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Thanks for coming.